0: to, I think I like you, a counterintuitive approach to dating and relationships in the digital age. I'm your host, Clara Archwager. I'm a coach, I'm a writer, and I specialize in helping women who are already living really rich lives. They don't view marriage as the be all end all, but they do desire to co-create a life with another, deeply so. They're curious to understand why that hasn't come to fruition thus far and how they can pursue those desires more consciously in these conversations, some with just me, some with incredible guests, and others with my dear fiance James, will be in that vein, imbued with curiosity, nuance, and a way of looking at dating and relationships that isn't contained to such a formulaic and stifled lens. Let's go. Hi, everyone. We are here for another Sunday Stories. Just as a refresher, this is a new series that I started. Uh, It was with the intention of revisiting old pieces of writing, things that I've written in the last few years, where they share an experience dating and relationship wise (laughs) that I've had. They've maybe been some of the more popular things or things that people say, Oh my God, that, that thing that you wrote. And I have found that in being able to revisit them and talk about them from the current landscape of my life, this piece today, it's actually one of the first I ever really put out into the world. It's from 2018. It was shared on The Cut, uh, New York Magazine's column around dating and relationships. It was actually shared in the It's Complicated column of The Cut. So The Cut is many things, but it's that one specifically. As always, I will link to these in the show notes. If you are new to the podcast, regular episodes with interviews and then more dedicated subjects air on Tuesdays. And I also have one-to-one coaching spots open right now. So there will be a link to schedule a discovery call. If you're interested, learn more about that in the show notes. Okay. Let's get to today's piece entitled dating without texting is the absolute best. On our third date, he proposed something unexpected. "Can we not text?" We were sitting on the floor of his living room. The first warm night of spring, plates of grilled chicken thighs and salad, buttery pita and garlicky tzatziki balanced in our laps. I set my wine and was perhaps slightly buzzed. Maybe that's why his question didn't throw me. To be honest, I found it kind of thrilling. Recently, I'd noticed a pattern in my dating habits. I'd meet someone and next thing I knew we were texting more frequently than I text my best friends. The difference of course, is that texting your best friends is a fun diversion. Whereas texting someone you're interested in can feel exhilarating, but also exhausting. Every interaction is laden with meaning. How long should I wait to write back? What does his delay imply? Is an exclamation point too much? Should I add a winking face emoji? Avoiding all that sounded great to me. So we began to lay down some rules during each date. We would make plans for our next one. If we needed something in between from one another, even if that was just to say hello, we would call. We would keep texting to logistics. Like if one of us was running late or we needed the other to pick something up like a key ingredient for dinner, limes for the gin and tonics or American cheese for the burgers. But the good morning, how was your day, good night banter, and the incessant distraction that came with it. All of that was off the table, and thank God for that. The truth is, texting had already derailed our relationship once. It was a few days after our second date, which had been a dream. I'd invited him for dinner, something that was significant for me, both the preparation and having someone in my home. Conversation and first kisses flowed. During our meal, we made plans to get together the following week for lunch in Sunset Park. I said, I would do research on where we should go. He texted on Sunday to follow up saying Wednesday or Friday worked best for him, but his text landed right in the middle of an unexpected family crisis, not wanting to leave him hanging, but also not wanting to share the details of my family situation. I texted back running around text you in a bit, but then I didn't for 24 hours. I was emotionally spent from dealing with my family. And while everything was for the most part, fine, I just didn't have the energy to reply, not to mention make plans for a date. By Monday afternoon, he caved and sent a novel of a message. He said that they thought it was strange not to have heard from me and that he could handle it if I didn't want to continue seeing him, but he just wanted to make sure I was okay. I remember emerging from the subway, seeing his words fill my phone screen and feeling flooded with both guilt and frustration, guilt that I'd put him through the turmoil, but frustration over the responsibility of dealing with another person's emotions at a time when I felt so drained. On an impulse, I dialed him right then and broke things off. I don't think I'm a good person to date right now, I said, which is, of course, really just the coward's way of saying you're not interested in seeing someone again. We said goodbye and hung up. When I woke up the next morning, I hadn't exactly changed my mind, but I felt that there was still something between us worth exploring, or at least talking about. So I texted him to propose the third date he had been trying to schedule when I dumped him. Not Sunset Park, just a quiet dinner at his place. And so we found ourselves sitting on his living room floor with chicken thighs, wine, and later homemade chocolate chip cookies, discussing the possibility of continuing to see each other, but ending our texting relationship. He said he was trying to finish a draft of a book. So he needed long stretches of uninterrupted time to focus on work. Putting his phone on airplane mode wouldn't do. He didn't love the idea of a text for me just sitting there going unanswered for hours on end. If I needed to be in touch, he wanted to be there. He said he wanted to find a way to keep the fire of his productivity going while also investing in me. Maybe we thought ruling text messages out altogether would be a weird way to do that. We set the date for our next hang, kissed goodnight, and that was that. In the past, dating someone would leave me drained and weirdly sad. I wasn't sure that I was unsure of the guy's feelings, or excuse me, it wasn't that I was unsure of the guy's feelings. It happened with people who I knew really liked me. Looking back, I think the sadness came from a subconscious knowing that the person wasn't right for me, but at the time, I didn't have the space to fully process that, in part because I was available at all times via my phone. Even if I didn't respond to a text right away, the message would be hanging over me and firing warning signs back in the other direction. Unlike a friendship, where not responding to a text for two hours or two days is acceptable. Dating, both the act of texting and not texting, communicates something how fast or how slow you respond says something to the other person. By this time I felt excited and energized, but this time I felt excited and energized with texting off the table. I found I could live my own life much more easily. I just made a career change and had a new block of free time. I was eager to use that time exactly how I want it reading, writing, eating, cooking and exploring my city on my own time. I was excited to be dating someone new but I didn't want that to overtake this crucial downtime for me, which I was using to gain clarity on the direction and purpose of my life. I spent my days exactly as I saw fit. And while I did, my mind wasn't filled with worry over when he would text or whether I should text him. My hand didn't reflexively reach for my phone a dozen plus times a day. Anticipation took anxiety's place. I was excited to tell him about all the things I was reading, seeing, and doing. I had so many questions for him. How was his week? How was his writing? What did he eat? What was he reading? There was so much to talk about. The less we were in touch, the better it was once we were together. Conversation poured out of us as if we had been turned upside down. We could barely keep up, often having to go back to complete a thought before jumping to the next subject. But most importantly, I could miss him and it doing so helped me understand how I felt about this person. Something that had been clouded by all the superfluous, though sweet communication in the past. I liked him a lot. I couldn't wait to see him again, but in the meantime, I'd focus on my own life. This was, this was a surprisingly hard piece to go back to. It's been a while since I reread that. And it's not because of the writing. This is actually one of the more edited pieces of mine that's out on the internet, actually by way of (laughs) by way of the sky. and I do, okay. So I I I want to talk about the texting in and of itself, because when this piece came out, it was really interesting. There were a few kind of responses. One was that people were like okay so is that is that the formula like just don't text like do you just don't text men early on and i was like no no there, there <laughs> there's no formula there was just a decision between two people to do something that served us both we basically had a decision about our communication styles and the state of our lives and what we wanted and it had to be honest and vulnerable in order to create an environment that we actually wanted to get to know one another, within, and I don't think I realized it as much at the time, but that tedium, that anxiety, that waiting to see when someone will respond, the back and forth—it's like a roller coaster. It's—I I can like almost bring my body back to those interactions with dating situations with men in the past, and I'm like, oh man, it felt—you'd you, see their name pop up. And it was, it was just like an explosion, like a high, and then it would just dip and up and down and all the things. And there's something that's really wonderful about that. Obviously those early feelings and butterflies of getting to know someone, but there was something so grounded about this, which would prove to be quite the opposite of the demise of the relationship, which, you know, shows you there's no, I think we're always looking for like a safeguard or a certain path or a right way. And that will deliver us to the right space. And I'm so much messier than that. But it was really interesting for me how people latched onto that. as like, okay, so is this the formula? Is this the way you do things to make it all work out? And I was like, no, I just did this with this one person. and And that's, and that's what worked. The other piece of things was there was a very popular podcast at the time. I think it was part of, I think it's still around, but part of the Betches Empire, B-E-T-C-H-E-S. And they spoke about this article because it went viral and they were straight up convinced that he was cheating on me. So he, they were like, nope, this never happens. This is a cloak. This is a mask. Like this guy is cheating and he just doesn't want her to know that he's seeing another girl. And that was really fascinating for me because it it couldn't have been farther from the truth. It was really genuine, this decision we both made, but it actually really made me sad for the state of humanity. Like that's what we think, you know, we're so quick to assume the worst or kind of pigeonhole at least in this case, men in a certain way, I don't know, maybe men and women, but that reaction does stand out to me. And that felt really unfortunate, and kind of small to me. Now it's interesting because I talk about in this piece, how having that space in between helped me get to know him or make a decision as to whether I did or didn't like him. I mean, I was going to date this guy either way, This is the guy that also relates to the episode, the relationship that broke me in all the ways I needed to be broken. And it also relates to last week's uh, Sunday story series where I talk about the experience of missing him and and convincing myself he was coming back kind of because I needed to convince myself he was coming back. And then when that all shattered, what it really broke open in me. But I think the reason why I said it was hard to go back to this and it's almost like reading, reading an old journal, except it's for all to see on the internet where those words were absolutely true at the time. Like it felt really healthy and wise and thoughtful, just good to be setting up this type of communication, but, or making the plan that sounds so formal, setting up this type of communication, making a plan, going on a date and then be like, okay, here's our next plan. Um, and now I'm like, I don't know about that, you know, in the sense of not communicating. Because I think if we had communicated a little bit in the in-between, there might have been elements of his personality that were more red flags to me that would have come out sooner rather than later. But I was so enamored. This was a very much like um a textbook empath narcissist. This butted up against a lot of my paternal wounds, it really forced me to look at a lot lot of stuff there. He very much, um, kind of scratched this itch of a father figure in terms of the way he kind of supported me. He supported my work. He made me feel really special about myself. And this is not at all to say he's, you know, we're just two people who ran into each other in, in love. It's, he's not, he's not a villain. Um, it's, it's more just the nature of what he, he gave and, and what I needed and sort of lapped up and, and vice versa. But I wonder if we had been a little more in touch on the day-to-day had we, that I would have seen something different, but I didn't and it wasn't. And I loved this piece and I I needed to date this person. And it's easier to say, you know, five years later, (laughs) post shattering heartbreak, but the really cool thing. And I think this was one thing I wanted to bring up in the context of this piece was he played a really integral role in me stepping into my identity as a writer and getting my work out into the world. And so when I first met him, I was I think our first date was the last day of my corporate job. Like the job I had in marketing before, um, I was the head of marketing for a tech company, a startup. We were a fitness app and I had started with them a few years ago. I was the third employee. And by the time I left, we had over a hundred employees. And so I was leaving that and I had just met him and Oh, let me come back to this. I'm like, where was I going with this whole subject matter? Ah, yes. The writing. So I had written a lot. I had started writing up my dating experience a few months prior when I was in a yoga retreat in Bali. And I had these, like, and this is what I often will say to clients. It's like when we have a thing within us and it doesn't have to be writing, it could be a project. It could be a trip. It was, it could be like a thing we feel called to do. I often feel like I'm like, you need to move towards that thing because that thing informs who you are as a person. It could be changing jobs. It could be moving apartments. It could be changing cities, like whatever it may be. Um, but that thing and doing the thing informs who you are as a person and the nature of your life. And the person you become by way of doing that thing corresponds to the nature of not just your all your relationships, but your romantic relationships. I often see women who are like, let's say in a job that they know so deeply and they've known for a while is not an in integrity, is out of alignment. And that can be a very privileged thing to say because I get like just, you know, needing a job and, and sticking with that job and it, providing the financial means and health insurance and all that jazz that you need. So I, I want to preface it by saying that, but It's more about uh, leaning into this greater thing that needs to be birthed. And for me, I, knowing he was a writer, I started writing and just sharing my writing with him. Initially, it was almost a way of saying, let me just show you all like the dark and messy parts with myself. I also shared about my eating disorder, my history with my eating disorder. There's another piece over on shape.com that came out of the same experience and then there was, oh, there was another one on the cut. I'll link to them all. Maybe I'll read them all at one point. But either way, dating him really helped me step into this part of myself. And it also actually showed me what a skill I had at writing. And he also taught me a lot about writing because he was a very skilled writer and he was a very skilled editor. And if you are a writer, if you work in an editorial, you know like how how much a good editor can really help you. And so he brought this part of me to life. It's, it's, it's not to give him credit, but I, I see it more as like, and I see it so many different facets, but these individuals that serve as catalysts and markers along our journey it was by way of this writing that, that I then got a book agent. It was by way of this writing that I then started, um, putting together book proposals and pitching books. And I'm still in that journey, you know? So it's not to say, oh, it was all fine and the pain was worth it because he taught me I was a writer. Yes and no. I just find a lot of solace. And it's easier, of course, on the other side, right? But a lot of solace in being able to look at the individuals in our lives in this way, especially when we can get stuck in such a state of like, but I need to find the person I'm going to share my life with and marry now. And a lot of times what I think is like, no, actually you need like a fair number of people to like knock you into who you are. And by knock you into place, I I, by no means mean anything physical. I kind of mean like wake you up to some shit within yourself because this was a beautiful relationship in certain ways. And it was also a really toxic relationship in certain ways. And it was all of that that cracked open so much in me. You know, I had um, a client this week who she's had this new friend come into her life who's single. And I said to her, I was like, how is this new friend such a gift to you? And she was like, oh, well, she's getting me to do this. And I have support in this. And I feel less alone than that and all the things. And I really do believe that there are these elements that will come in that are not just like another good date. It could be a relationship itself or a friend or a work opportunity or a trip or some interaction just randomly in your day to day that serve as like almost like carrying you along. They're catalysts, that they're things that are pushing you forward and carrying you and supporting you. Some of it is purely pleasurable, some of it is really painful, and the learning and the, the transformation comes through the pain. But that's what comes to mind when I think of this piece and I share this piece. And I will say, you know, do I think the texting, not texting is something to explore? I do. I really do. Because I think there's a lot of anxiety wound up in that. And at the very least, it could force you to, you know, make the plan and get clear up front. If the person you're seeing or two people want to see one another again and be on the same page about that. All right, y'all, have a beautiful weekend.